Hey, Amanda, remember that time Baby Gum became one of the biggest movie stars in history? time in historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history and we're back baby hello we're back 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 again after a little break thank you guys so much for um being patient and understanding with us we august was just too it was bonkers yeah there yeah. was no possible way I was going to be able to take the time to record with my move and and you were starting school and yeah uh, our August so. here were, here are our Augusts I was helping my friends move Anna was moving <laughs> I was helping my friends plan a wedding right Anna was moving <laughs> <laughs> I started a new job Anna was moving <laughs> yeah moving was so uh, it was just intense. not gonna happen I and when I tell you I did not move far but it it was so tiresome i'm i'm old now so i get exhausted very easily um not that i didn't before because of the you know anxiety um but (laughs) but we're in now we're unpacked i'm at a new spot i'm settled Um, in a new job i'm officially a history teacher heck yeah look at that powerful feels great feels great you have some authority now on this podcast (laughs) not very much but a little bit (laughs) Um, I'm sorry if it sounds a little different, by the way. Like I said, I'm in a new space, so yeah, I'm not facing a wall anymore. It's going to sound a little different, so I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I promise I'm going to figure it out at some point. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you guys for your patience on our break. We're back. And today we're going to talk about Judy Garland, baby. Oh, boy. So for this episode i do want to give a um a content warning i okay for those of you who have any idea about judy garland i'm sure you probably saw this coming um there is going to be some discussions of um drug abuse and addiction um disordered eating uh suicide uh some mentions of intimate partner violence not a ton of detail but Um, I just want to make sure that that's out there. If that Mm -hmm. is something that you are not equipped to listen to, skip this episode, go listen to an old one or come back for the next one. um, And we'll, we'll talk at you then, but just want to get that out there before we get started. Yeah. Before we go any further, shall we do a drink update? Absolutely. We should. I'm, this is an interesting one today. As a housewarming gift, my friend the other day came over and brought me like a succulent and a cake, and she brought me this Italian blood orange soda. Ooh. And that's what I'm having. It's weird. It smells medicinal, but it doesn't taste medicinal. It tastes Ooh. so good. It's very odd, but it's I like it. <laughs> blood orange. She's so pretentious. <laughs> it's red. We love the Project Runway reference. We do. I'm having water, and I just had a full panic a second ago because I could not find my water bottle because I realized I set it on the ground uh. because my desk is really full right now, Whoops. and I like didn't have a space to set it. And I was taught we started recording like seconds after we started recording, <laughs> and I started going, "Where's my drink?" Did yeah, you were out? looking around. I couldn't. Yeah, tell. You were looking. I was like, "Did it. I leave it in the living room? I'm gonna have to go and get it." And then I, it was on the ground. But I'm drinking water. <laughs> wow, we're in great shape today. Yeah. Everything's going well. Well, th- there's a lot of information in this one, so are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, Judy Garland is born as Frances Ethel Gum on June 10th, 1922 in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Her mother is Ethel Marion, and her father is Francis Avent or Frank Gum. Um, she is named after both of them, and she's their youngest child. Uh, her parents are vaudevillians. They run a, a theater, um, wow. and they feature vaudeville acts, and they perform. The word vaudevillians is delightful. Oh, yeah. We're going to use it a couple times here. So. It looks like vaudevillians. <laughs> <laughs> her parents and her older sister call her baby or baby gum hence the intro to this episode um and her first performance is when she is two years old 
Oh, one of these. Yeah, she sings with her older sisters um, while her mother accompanies them, and they uh, are performing at their father's um, like Christmas show at the theater, and they sing Jingle Bells. Adorable. So, in June of 1926, the family relocates to Lancaster, California. Do you want to know why they have to move, Amanda? Why? Because there were some rumors going around that Frank, your man was <gasps> homosexual. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> I don't know what didn't find anything about where or how these rumors started or if there was any kind of truth to them. It doesn't really matter, but I just found it so interesting that people were like it, it was so intense that they moved. That's yeah, that is kind of wild cuz it's like, you know, that was taboo, whatever, but also it it's was not, less taboo among theater circles. Yeah, it was it's like, not like he was a even, politician. Even if you you still, like, disagree with that lifestyle, people were, like, willing to look past it for people, like, people yeah. in the theater. Like, they kind of just didn't talk about it. Yeah. So that's kind of wild that it was, like, so bad that they I had know. to move. So they moved to California, and they the dad immediately buys a new um, theater, and Good. they start performing again. And um, their mother starts um, managing the girls' careers and trying to get them into films. Yikes. So, yeah. Rough start. Just a general yikes, a blanket yikes for that entire idea. Yeah, yeah. So in 1928, the sisters, the Gum sisters, enroll in a dance school run by Ethel Meglin. Um, and she runs the Meglin Kitties Dance Troupe. It's like a pretty prestigious, you know, group. Um, they perform in the group's annual Christmas show and... Through this group, they actually make their film debut in a short film called The Big Review, um, which comes out in 1929. So this is really the start of their performing career as the Gum Sisters, the three of them together. Mm -hmm. um, they perform as a trio for a while. In 1934, they perform in Chicago at the Oriental Theater with George Jessel, who's like a pretty famous um, entertainer of the time. And he actually encourages them to change their name because the audience, when they heard the Gum Sisters, laughed, <laughs> as <Yeah>. you might. <laughs> and he was Not like, a great mm, group name. You should reconsider. So they choose the name Garland. There are a few different stories about how this came to be. Like one of them said that it was after, you know, like a an actress or a film and then later judy garland's daughter tells another story about um you know jessel giving them the name it's like a whole there are several different stories we don't totally mm -hmm. know why they picked it for sure but that's what they choose um so then they start performing as the garland sisters for a little bit and francis our heroine um chooses to change her name shortly after that and she chooses judy so we're gonna call her judy for the rest of the podcast um the name she picks is inspired by a popular hoagie carmichael song i don't know what the song was couldn't find it hmm. um so they're performing as the garland sisters but they actually, as a group, break up in August of 1935 because Judy's sister, Suzanne, decides to run off to Reno, Nevada, and to marry a musician. So <laughs> they break up. Um, however, a around this time, they're still kind of doing some performances like Judy and her other sister. And um, in September of 1935... Your man, Louis B. Meyer, I don't know if he says if he pronounces it Louis or Lewis, but we're going with Louis, um, asks the songwriter Burton Lane to go to the Orpheum Theater in L.A. to watch their act um, and to report back. And he's impressed. So he brings in Judy and her father um, to the one and only Metro Goldwyn Meyer Studios in Culver City. MGM. MGM. We're going to talk Rawr. a lot about MGM today. Mm -hmm. Like so much. Um, MGM. Imagine the lion. <laughs> Are you okay? I, that's what I always associate with. Every time I see MGM, I, know, I think I don't about know the lion. Why you needed to make the noise like that. Because he does the, it's the animation. I know what he does. I've seen it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So. 
Judy goes to their studio. She sings a couple of songs and they sign her basically immediately to a contract. Because, again, we've talked about some movie stars before. And this these are the days where a star signs a contract with a studio and then they make films and other projects for that studio and no one else. Although sometimes or they get contracted out. out. Yeah, yeah, loaned out to other studios. Yeah. So she gets hired without a screen test, um, though she does make one later, uh, but they hire her without one, which is not Wild. typical. Yeah. Because they want to see how you are on film, right? Yeah. So she's 13 at the time. Wow. And the studio is, like, not quite sure what to do with her because she's too old to be, like, a child star. Mm-hmm. but she's too young to be playing full-on adult role, roles. And right. she looks young, too. She's and if not... they had signed her when she was younger, they would be transitioning her during that period of her yeah, life. Yeah, sure, yeah. But she's not, like, and established time... yet, so they can't really do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And this is a time where, like, they're not making teen movies, right? Like, no. now, teen It's like, if she, was, if she had been signed as a child star... In her teen years, she would be playing teenagers in adult films or... Yeah, or she just yeah. would be on a break or she'd be performing live or, or something Or doing like music that. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she looks young, right? She's only four foot eleven and a half. Oh, wow. And she's very cute and girl next door. But MGM at the time is looking for, like, glamour leading ladies. And then she why did they sign her? <laughs> Well, because she's very talented. Right. But it's like, you but just sign her to girl, lock down her talent and have no idea what to do with her. Yeah, it's going to get worse, though. Get ready. Cool. So while she's at Metro, she's obviously attending school. And she's attending school with people like Ava Gardner and Lana Turner and Elizabeth Taylor. Beautiful stars. The industry sees them as these, like, glamorous beauties. And Judy is very, very insecure about her appearance. And it's only exacerbated by Mayor himself, the worst, who refers to her as, quote, his little hunchback. What? Like, the- cool, I feel appreciated here at my job. Thank you. Why would you? Because he's gross. Because he's gross, Amanda. Yeah. He's gross. Um, so during her early time at the studio, she's photographed and dressed in, like, plain garments. Again, they're trying to make her look very plain, girl next door, because um, that's really all they can do with her at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually have her wear, like, removable caps on her teeth, which was not unheard of. Yeah. Um, and rubberized discs on her nose to, like, reshape it. Oh, why that? Ugh. Girl, I don't know, but it's frustrating. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's how things are going for Judy at this point at the studio. Right. Then on November 16th of 1935, again, Judy is 13 at this time, her father is hospitalized for meningitis, and he dies the next day, and he's only 49. So mm. she's pretty devastated by this, and now it's just her mom who is definitely a stage mom and pushing yeah. her to have this career. We're not going to talk in depth about her mother because that's just not what this episode's about. But just think, typical stage mom of a child star, right? Yeah. Um, she Judy starts performing at different studio functions, and then eventually she is cast in a musical short called Every Sunday, and she stars opposite Deanna Durbin. Um, she, okay, so this is an interesting, like, performance bit. So she sings, um, at a birthday party, uh, for Clark Gable that the studio is throwing, and she sings, you made me love you. I didn't want to do it, you know? Mm. You know the song? Um, and... The, the studio execs just love it so much that she's then included in an all-star um, performance called Broadway Medley of, sorry, Broadway Melody of 1938. And she sings, because she sang the song to Clark Gable at the uh-huh. thing. She sings to a photograph of him <laughs> for this performance, which is like, okay, we didn't need to take uh, it that far, you know? Yeah. Uh, Hollywood was a weird place back then. 
It sure was. <laughs> okay, so then here's where she kind of really starts to hit professionally. MGM pairs her up with Mickey Rooney in a string yeah. of little films called Backyard Musicals. That's what they refer to them as. They basically make like five films within five years. It's a crazy work schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy later says that she and and Rooney and a lot of the other young performances were constantly prescribed amphetamines to stay awake because of the crazy working schedule. Ugh. And then they'd be given barbiturates to sleep because they were up all the time. They needed to be able to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So this really starts out Judy's addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, Mickey Rooney later was like, no, never happened. She was never given anything by the studio execs. But I'm definitely inclined yeah. to believe it. It had to come from instance. somewhere. Yeah, and- yes. I mean, she was yeah. still a kid. Yeah. You know? Being influenced by the people around her. If it wasn't on the movie sets, it was still by those people. Like, 100%. let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, despite the fact that she is a perfectly healthy weight and most would say small, they're mm-hmm. constantly pressuring her to diet. Because of so, course they are. Yeah. Because she has to look young, right? Yeah. So that's where we are. It's not great. Okay, so then in 1938, at the age of 16, Judy Garland is finally cast as the lead, Dorothy Gale, in The Wizard of Oz. Yes, indeed. Everybody knows this. And listen, let me tell you something about The Wizard of Oz. There could be a whole episode just about yeah, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it is. The making of that movie, oh, wild. wild. Lore and lore and lore about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to talk too in-depth about, like, the actual filming and all that stuff, because, again... There's a lot to cover in this episode to begin with, but it was it was also, like a complete its, its own thing. groundbreaking new way to film, and I mean it was, and there were yeah. so many problems, but also so many achievements. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, so Judy gets cast. Initially, she was not supposed to play this role. They wanted to borrow Shirley Temple from 20th right. Century Fox, which I think we touched on in the Shirley Temple episode. Yeah, I think we did. Um, but 20th Century Fox said no. And then they wanted Deanna Durbin, but she was also not available. So then they cast Judy Garland. Um, initially they wanted her to wear a blonde wig. Can you imagine? No. Um, but they decided She's against it. to be it. this little, like, country farm girl. Like, that's not the look, you know? I, know? I think that they thought it would look good in Technicolor. That yes, would have been that's my guess. fair. Yeah. They also had her wear the blue gingham dress because it had a blurring effect on like her figure and they, they thought it would make her look younger cuz she's mm-hmm. 16 and she probably is starting to get more like curves. Right. And while there is obviously nothing wrong with that, the studio yeah. would have had a problem with it at the time. Well, the people they were trying to cast for it also were two younger like people younger than her. Yes. So yes. they had this image of the character being younger, which is so funny to me because when I think about it now, it's like that is such an appropriate age for the character. I don't imagine the character I know. being younger. I Even know, though in I'm the books you. the character is younger, but that's not how the movie is right. presented. So I don't yeah. really think about it. That like, it, it's it's funny because it wasn't really meant to be, but because of the age she ended up being, like they ended up casting her, it kind of becomes the ultimate coming of age movie. Yes. Because it's this totally. kid, this young woman, like about to grow Dreaming up and imagining her this and, life for her. Yeah. yeah. And it's, realizing it kind that of, her home is special and she should. Yeah. They kind of stumbled yeah. into this. Totally. Narrative in casting her that way. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of reports at the time that Judy was basically put on a diet of cigarettes, chicken soup, and coffee. I've heard that, yeah. That's not, it turns out not really true. Um, historians Jay Scarphone and William Stillman wrote a book called The Road to Oz, The Evolution, Creation, and Legacy of a Motion Picture Masterpiece. And they basically, yeah, they basically debunked this, um, Judy Garland was like anti smoking <laughs> at the time. She was, she would not have been smoking cigarettes. Uh-huh. Um, and she was allowed, you know, solid food. 
Um, however, like I said, they were trying to minimize the look of her curves. So she was, you know, on a diet. She would have to work out quite a bit. They had her swimming and hiking a lot. Um, and then she would play tennis and badminton with her stunt double as huh. a workout. Um, so there was a lot of like extreme, you know, treatment and extreme dieting and stuff. But that specific rumor was just not true. Yeah. So at the 1939 Academy Awards, Judy Garland receives her only Academy Award, which is crazy. Um, It's the Academy Juvenile Award for her performances in 1939, which were The Wizard of Oz and Babes in Arms, which is a film she shot like right after shooting Wizard of Oz. Oz. Like while she was doing press and stuff for it, she was also Mm -hmm. shooting this film. Um, she is the fourth person to receive this award, as well as only one of 12 in history to ever get it. Yeah, it's a, that, that didn't stick around for very long, that particular award, because then we started making other awards, academies, and shows specific for young actors instead of through the academy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is, we, I feel like we should reinvent some sort of, uh award for young actors and Academy Award-winning films, because there are some that include young people oh, yeah. who deserve awards for their work, but, 100%. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, just to, again, reinforce how much she was working at the time, in, in 1940, she stars in three films that were released that year. Um, Andy Hardy meets debutante, strike up the band and little Nellie Kelly. So she, I mean, that's a lot of films to make Mm -hmm. in that short amount of time. Yeah. Um, you know, she's still a teenager at this point, but during this kind of general time, she does have her first serious, um, romance with Mm -hmm. a band leader named Artie Shaw. I don't know how old he was, but he was older than her. Let's guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, she was very much in love with him, um, but in early 1940, he eloped with Lana Turner, uh, so she was pretty upset about that, ew. as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah, so what a creep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so shortly after that, she starts a relationship with the musician David Rose, um, and on her 18th birthday, he actually gives her an engagement ring, but... He was still married to someone else, um, actress and singer Martha Ray. So the studio actually steps in and is like, wait, 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 hold on. You can't do this <laughs> right Hollywood, now. Hollywood in the Girl, 30s and 40s was so broken. I know. So busted. <laughs> so David and Judy decide, okay, well, we'll wait a year for his divorce to become final. He, I mean, yeah, he's in the process of getting divorced. You can't get married I until know. the divorce is finalized. I know, but wait, we're not done. Because while they're waiting oh, that year to get married, Judy has an affair with someone else. But, like, also, yeah, of course she did. Because he is still married. I know. I know, I know. So she has an affair with the songwriter Johnny Mercer, but then they break up. And so Judy Garland and David Rose marry on July 27th, 1941. Oh, Hollywood. But wait, because again, this is a whirlwind. So by January of 1943, they've agreed to a trial separation. And by 1944, they're divorced. Yeah, of course. Of course they are. Um, oh, I forgot to mention at the top with the content warnings, there is going to be a brief mention of abortion here. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being FYI, if you need to skip ahead a little bit, it's just going to be like two seconds. Yeah. Um, in 1941, she does have an abortion while she's pregnant with um, David Rose's child um, because her mom and the studio didn't. Pregnancy wasn't approved by the studio at the time. Which is like, what the... What? Because, she, I mean, she's a kid and she has to work. Right. But she, I, I mean, know. she's 18 now. She is, you're, she's a kid and she has I to work. Know. But also it's like, you cannot approve. Sometimes people get pregnant. Like, what? I know. Uh, so at the insistence of her mother and her employers. Uh-huh. And then she, um, in 1943, she also has a brief affair with someone else and she gets pregnant. And she terminates that pregnancy as well. Man. 
So, man, it's been rough for Judy um, so far. Already. Yeah. Yeah. As it um, is with child stars. Yeah. So we're going to, because I know we skipped ahead to like 1943, 1944. That was just to finish off the story of her first marriage. We're yeah. going to jump back just a little bit. In 1942, she stars in For Me and My Gal, where she performs with Gene Kelly in his first screen appearance. Wow. That's wild. It's really weird to think that she was acting longer than Gene Kelly was when you just yeah. think about, I don't know why, but thinking about like Gene well, Kelly's legacy, it's like, He also I don't know. lived longer than her though. That's true. So, that's true. You know, there's But still, that. it's like, you know, it's just interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So again, back to 1944. We have one of Judy Garland's most successful films for MGM and an absolute classic, Meet Me in St. Louis, or Meet mm-hmm. Me in St. Louis, depending on how you'd like to pronounce it. I'm going to say St. Louis because sa- I think that's technically right. The cadence right. Of, the, of the name of the movie sounds better. Yeah, it's I supposed agree. to rhyme. It's Meet Me in St. Right. Louis. Right. Yeah. Um, and in this film, we get three new standards which are the trolley song the boy next door and of course one of my all-time favorites have yourself a merry little christmas oh i love which that. i just I could, listen to in like swoon every i christmas. could cry <laughs> thinking about her version of that it's song so like, beautiful oh, it's it, my favorite yeah. and it's the like more kind of maudlin it's a sad one original yeah. version it's so beautiful it's beautiful um this is one of the first films in her career that lets her be like the attractive leading lady mm-hmm. um and your man vincent minnelli is assigned to direct um and this is we're gonna get back to him in a minute but there's another significant reason we're gonna talk about it right now it's because he requests a makeup artist by the name of dorothy pont Ponadel, i think is how you say her name um he requests that this makeup artist be assigned to judy and Dorothy plays a really significant role, like, in Judy's life and in her film career um, mm-hmm. because she redefines her appearance. She does different makeup on her that changes the shape of her eyebrows and her hairline and her lip line. And she gets rid of the dental caps and the, the nose discs that we mm-hmm. referenced earlier. And... Dorothy lo- or Dorothy Jesus I got their names mixed up. Yeah. Judy Judy loves this so much that she insists that Dorothy be her makeup artist for all, for all of her remaining pictures. She builds it into her contract. Good. So yeah. this was very significant. Um around this time she also has an affair with the director Orson Welles. Uh-huh. Who at the time is married to Rita Hayworth. Uh-huh. The drama, kerflama of it all. Orson um, Welles is also a whole other... Oh, oh God, yeah. Oh, oh, boy. If we want to keep talking about old Hollywood, we could do a whole episode oh. on both of them. Individually. Yeah. Orson Welles and Rita Hayworth, too. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. Um, but the affair with him ends in early 1945. Um, like we mentioned earlier, during the filming of Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy meets Vincent Minnelli. Um, and initially they kind of don't really like each other, but then they start having a relationship and they get married on June 15th of 1945. And then on March 12th of 1946, they have a daughter together. One Liza Minnelli. Liza! Liza! (laughs) We love her. Yes. Um, but... Judy uh, and Vincent get a divorce by 1951. So they weren't together terribly long. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to start talking about some more mental health stuff now. Mm-hmm. In April of 1948, Judy is filming a movie called The Pirate. And she has essentially a nervous breakdown. Um, and she gets taken to a sanatorium which we've touched on on the podcast before mm-hmm. um so de- but despite that fact she keeps filming so she's like, like in and out of this facility actively against the point of the facility <laughs> i know she is able to finish the movie but then in july she makes her first suicide attempt um i don't really want to mm-hmm. talk about the specifics of it because it gets uncomfortable, but you yeah. just need to know that that happens. Yeah. Um, 
so after that, she's she spends about two weeks in treatment at the Austin Riggs Center, which is a psychiatric hospital in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Um, so she's in and out relatively quickly. I mean, two weeks. That's not a lot of treatment for no. depression and for both and for, for both a breakdown and then a suicide attempt. Yeah, that's not enough time. And the addiction that is exactly yeah it at this yeah. Point. But, you know, it's the 40s, so I guess. And it's Hollywood, and she's a moneymaker, so they demand her out, you know. Yep. So we're going to get right back to her work. Let's Uh get right back to her work. So after The Pirate, she then co-stars for the first and only time with Fred Astaire in Mm. Easter Parade, which comes out in 1948. And Fred Astaire actually replaced Gene Kelly because he had broken his ankle. That's like the story of both of their careers is that like anytime (laughs) one of them can't do it, the other one does it. I know, right? (laughs) They like flip flop a lot. It's funny. Interchangeable in terms of their talents, I guess. Yeah. Um, But it becomes like her top grossing film for MGM, Easter Parade. It's huge. It's a a massive success. Um, So MGM is like, oh, we got to pair these two up again. But do you remember I said it was the first and only time she Uh starred with Fred Astaire? So we're going to get to it. So they pair them up again for a film called The Barclays of Broadway. But Judy's addiction gets really intense at this time. Um, She's taking prescription barbiturate sleeping pills along with some other pills that she somehow got, they're not sure how, that had morphine. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not great. She also, around this time, starts to develop an issue with alcohol. And she has a lot of migraines, which I'm sure is exacerbated by these substances. substances. Um, So she misses a lot of days of shooting. And her doctor during this time tells her she can really only work in four to five day increments with like long rest periods in between. And MGM says, well, we can't do that. So they decide to suspend her on July 18th of 1948. And she's replaced in that film by Ginger Rogers. It's like wild to me that the doctor would say, Oh, she's unwell. So we'll just, instead of figuring out what's wrong and making her stop taking all of these prescription pills, what we'll do is we'll just let her rest. Yeah. That's not your job, my man. (laughs) I know, right? You're doing the opposite of your job, my dude. Yeah. I I kind of assumed that the doctor was telling the studio that, like the studio. In my mind, the studio said, well, can she work? And they said, well, she could probably do this, but she'd have to take long rests in between. Like, that's kind of how I picture the conversation. But still, it's like... It's still not great. What? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, that's a lot of money for the studio. That The longer yeah. your filming takes, the more money. And that yep. is a big problem in Judy's career. So, like I said, they suspend her. Um, but by the time her suspension is over, she is, boom, right back to work. Um, she performs two songs as a guest in the Rogers and Hart biopic Words and Music, um, which ends up being her last appearance with Mickey Rooney. They did, like I said, several films together. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were kind of a duo for a while there. So, but during her suspension, she actually kind of started to do a little bit better. She gained a lot of her physical strength and also gained some weight, which was good for her because she was not doing well physically. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the fall of 1948, she goes back to the studio and replaces a pregnant June Allison for the film in the good old summertime. Um, And Liza, her daughter actually makes her film debut at the age of two and a half at the end of this film. I think it's just like a little, Mm -hmm. you know, cameo kind of thing. I love Liza Minnelli. Me too. Now this was interesting because I actually did not know this. Um, I think I knew this. I think I've heard this before. Judy was cast in the film adaptation of Annie Get Your Gun as Annie Oakley. She would have been a really good Annie Oakley. (laughs) Yeah, but there was some drama on set. So the director, Busby Berkeley, did not treat her very well. Um, He is staging all the musical numbers and 
he gets really frustrated with Judy's lack of effort and enthusiasm, which is like, she's tired, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, So she complains to the studio and asks them to fire him. Um, And she starts arriving late to set. She sometimes doesn't show up at all. Um, And around this time, she's also undergoing um, electroconvulsive therapy for her depression, which we all know doesn't work. Oof. Um, Oof. So instead of firing the director, they fire her. And on May 10th of 1949, she's replaced by Betty Hutton in that film. Wild. She would have been a really good Annie Oakley. She would have been great. I think she would have been a really good Annie Oakley on stage. Oh, absolutely. She She wasn't so much a stage actor. But I think she would have been good in this role. Yeah, she would have. I think she would have been good in that role. And also, at this time, like, film and stage acting aren't quite as far apart as they are now. No, they flip-flop a lot. Yeah. A lot. And it's, the, the way the setups of movies work are really similar in a That's, lot of ways yes, to exactly. it. Yeah. 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 A lot of the, the training um, they undergo, the voice that movie the musicals scenes, are really popular. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the scenes just look like a filmed stage number, basically. Because they kind of are. They are, yeah. So after that, Judy undergoes a long hospital stay at Peter Bent Brigham Hospital in Boston. Um, she is weaned off, weaned off of her medication for a little while and she's able to start like eating and sleeping normally. So again, she has gained a little bit more weight. Um, and then she returns to LA in the fall of 1949 and she is cast in Summerstock with Gene Kelly mm-hmm. and she needs to lose weight for the role according to <sighs> everybody else. So she gets back on pills. Mm -hmm. And by the time the film wraps, she's lost like 15 pounds. So rough. Um, But in terms of the film, um, they had basically wrapped on it in the spring of 1950. But then they decided that she actually needs an additional musical number. Um, so she agrees to do it as long as the song is Get Happy, which Mm. becomes another classic for her. Mm -hmm. Um, this movie, Summerstock, actually ends up being her final film with MGM. Um, she had been cast in the film Royal Wedding with Fred Astaire, but then was again fired. Um... I'm just going to read this little quote because, again, this is going to be a mention of a suicide attempt. Um, This says, reputable biographies stated that after this latest dismissal, she slightly grazed her neck with a broken glass requiring only a Band-Aid. But at the time, the public was informed that a despondent garland had slashed her throat. So this became very like a big rumor in the industry. Uh Um, It's rough. Mm-hmm. So on September 28th of 1950, after 15 years with MGM, Judy officially parts ways with them. Wow. So we're going to talk a little bit more about her later career now. Um, she's a frequent guest on Craft Music Hall, which is hosted by her longtime friend, Bing Crosby. We talked about Craft Music Hall when we did the Bing yes, Crosby episode. Did. Yes, because wi- it's like wild that it's named that. Yeah. But it's I not. It's just was, funny to think about. <laughs> I know. But I thought this was really kind of uh, sweet. So Crosby knew that she was very depressed after this latest an- attempt on her life. Mm-hmm. And he knew that she was running out of money. And he invited her to come on the show um, mm-hmm. and invited her to perform on the first of like the new season at the time on October 11th, 1950. She was very, very nervous. Um, but, you know, they talked her into to doing it. Mm-hmm. She makes eight appearances during the 1950 to 51 season of the Bing Crosby Chesterfield show, um, which really puts her back on the map career wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, she starts touring a little bit and she tours for about four months to many, many sellout crowds in Europe. It's, it's like nice to think of 
you know, like him taking care of her like that. Like yeah, they were somebody good caring about her enough yeah. to like help her out like that. And her well being. Yeah. yeah. Like knowing that she she the work does bring her joy despite the rest of it. Right. So let me give her some work that can be healthy for her, yeah. you know? So like I said, in 1951, she goes on a, a tour in Europe. She performs uh, in Britain and Ireland, where she has several sold-out audiences um, in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Um, she performs at the London Palladium in April of 1951, and these performances are really, really successful. She performs there for about four weeks. Wow. Um this little quote says she received rave reviews and an ovation described by the Palladium manager as the loudest he had ever heard. Wow. Um, she also goes to Manhattan and performs at the palace theater in October of 1951. Again, this is like a, an extended engagement there. And she like breaks records, um, for attendance at the theater. Wow. And it's called, quote, one of the greatest personal triumphs in show triumphs in show business history. And she's actually given a special Tony Award for her contribution to the revival of vaudeville. Because these shows wow. were like vaudeville style shows that she yeah. was performing. Okay, she, people so. People loved her. Yeah. You know? So like we had said before, because uh, just in the timeline, we've now gotten back to 1951. So this is when she she divorces um, Vincent Minnelli. Mm-hmm. And then on June 8th of 1952, she marries her then tour manager, Sidney Luft. And they end up having two children together, Lorna Luft, who is also um, a performer, mm-hmm. and Joey Luft. Um, okay, so then Judy Garland gets cast with James Mason in the Warner Brothers film, A Star is Born, which is the first... <laughs> Not that one. I know, but also, that's all I can think about. This is the first remake of the film. Of like eight. Yeah, the original film is from 1937, and then there's this remake, and then they make it later with um, Streisand, and then um, the most recent one. Lady Gaga. Um, so (laughs) the weirdest. I know. And Bradley Cooper was like, you know what movie I should make? And, and you know what? He was right. Because that movie is good. Yeah, listen. Listen. I'm not knocking the performances. or I, I'm just saying it's a weird uh, thought. Combo, weird choice on everyone's part. Don't know why they made it, but man, is it a good movie. It worked for them. That's great. So she and her husband at the time, Sydney Loved, actually produced the film together through their own production company called Transcona Enterprises. Um, and Warner Brothers supplies like the crew and the facilities and a lot of the finances because it's like mm-hmm. a brand new production company. Right? We're starting to sort of hit that turn of yes, uh, people who have been really scorned by Hollywood but still have a desire to make movies start trying to find their own way to do it uh-huh. through, without the exploitation of the companies. Right. Um, we're not quite in the deep of it yet, but the turn yeah. is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Judy is again pretty unwell during the filming of this uh, movie and there were lots of production delays. Um, so her husband suggests, actually suggested the Born in a Trunk medley, um, which was filmed as like a showcase for her. Um, and the director didn't want to leave it in because he was like, there are going to be a lot of cuts to this movie to leave that in but he insisted um so it got into the movie um and it actually caused a lot of problems like they did their first theatrical release and the movie was like too long and then they had to cut a bunch of stuff out and then the audiences got upset that parts of it were cut and it was like it was all very dramatic um ultimately it actually lost money because of all the delays and then the re-edits and stuff like that which is wild because you know it was so, such a success like for her personally uh-huh. um in some ways she is nominated for the academy award for best actress um in this film and actually so she's expected to win and at this time she is pregnant with her son joey she's like 
giving birth, basically. Um, she's not able to go to the ceremony because she's giving birth. Uh-huh. They send a camera crew to her hospital room so that if she wins, they can broadcast her acceptance speech. From but then the she doesn't hospital bed. But then she doesn't win. Grace Kelly wins instead. And so they like pack it up and go. <laughs> Can you imagine that, though? Can you imagine if she had one and her in her hospital bed, new baby, is like, thank you so much. Or actively birthing the baby. Yeah. (laughs) You know, who knows? Absolutely wild. Um, So she doesn't win the Academy Award, but she does win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical for her role in A Star is Born. In the shadow. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. Oh my it's god, it's so stupid. It's stuck in my head. Really I mean, bad. it's <laughs> good, but it's like it's become stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, starting in 1955, she actually has some television appearances, which she initially said she would like never do, but she needed money. And so, the times they are changing. Television is different now than it was when she started. Hmm. There's a lot more storytelling television at this point than there, like, had been before, you know? Yeah, yeah. So her first television appearance is in 1955 in the debut episode of Ford Star Jubilee. And this was the first full-scale color broadcast ever on CBS. Two for her. Two full-scale colors. I know. And it's a big hit. Um, And as a result of that, she actually signs a three-year contract with the network for about $300,000. But only one additional special came out in 1956, which was a live concert edition of General Electric Theater. Um, And at that point, the relationship between Judy and her husband with CBS had just like completely broken down there was a lot of disputes over like formats of upcoming specials that Uh sydney was like not approving of so it didn't last very long um in 1956 judy performs for four weeks at the new frontier hotel on the las vegas strip um her salary is about fifty-five thousand per week um which makes her the highest paid entertainer to work in vegas like at the time huh and the run of shows were so successful that they actually extended her for an extra week. That's very interesting. Yeah. She's still the highest paid entertainer to work in Las Vegas? I would have to imagine I'm not. I'm going to say no. Have you seen Britney Spears? I was just going to say Britney Spears, although that's a whole other thing because she but wasn't still, really the like, one getting paid, but you know what I mean. Have you seen Britney Spears? She was there for uh, a yeah. long time. Yeah, where everybody else was making her money from it. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, not the point. In November of 1959, Judy Garland is hospitalized after she's diagnosed with acute hepatitis. Mm. Um, it's a lot. She gets a lot of, like, fluid drain from mm-hmm. her during that time. And when she leaves the hospital in 1960, um, she's very, very weak. And she's told by doctors that she probably has, like, five years or less to live. Um, and yeah. even if she does, she probably will never sing again. Wow. Um she had initially said that she felt like relieved by this diagnosis saying quote, the pressure was off me for the first time in my life, Mm -hmm. but she did recover over the next few months. And in August of 1960, she's back on the stage. She returns to performing at the Palladium in Mm. London. Um, at the beginning of 1960, she signs a contract with random house to write her autobiography um, the book was going to be called The Judy Garland Story, and she was collaborating with um, another author. Um, Fred uh, please F- read his name because his name is delight- delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Fred F. Finkelhoff. <laughs> Fred F. Finkelhoff. Good old Triple Finkelhoff. F, as they call him. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was paid an advance of thirty thousand or $35,000, um, and good old freddy freddy fink um (laughs) works with her and records conversations about her life which was going to be used to then like make the manuscript um she works on it on and off throughout the 60s but it's never completed however portions of the unfinished autobiography are included in 
the 2014 biography Judy Garland on Judy Garland Interviews <laughs> and Encounters, which was written by Randall L. Schmidt. So cool. the material did see the light of day, at least part of it. Cool. Um, okay, this one was another big one. On April 23rd of 1961, she performs at Carnegie Hall. And can I this say something is... about Carnegie Hall? Every time yep. I hear Carnegie Hall, all I can think about is that time that the Vlogbrothers were at Carnegie Hall and they <laughs> sing that little song about being at Carnegie Hall every yeah. time. I think about it every time. It's, I, it will be stuck in my head forever. I messed up pronouncing That was a solid it. 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. I mess up pronouncing it because I live in Pittsburgh where we have many things named after Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie. and we all pronounce it Carnegie. Carnegie, yeah. But, but anyway. I just always think of, of Hank going, we're doing it at Carnegie Hall every time. <laughs> so Judy also performs there, um, wow. along with noted performers Hank and John Green. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, her performance there is referred to as, quote, the greatest night in show business history. Um, she, there is an album made out of their performance. It's a two record album called Judy at Carnegie Hall and it's certified gold. Um, and it charts for 95 weeks on Billboard. Oh my gosh. Um, 13 of those are at number one. It ends up winning four Grammys, including album of the year and best female vocal of the year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. In 1961 also, busy year for her. Um, is she, did she? Does she have an EGOT? She doesn't have an Emmy. No. Okay. I was trying no. to, I was like, because she has an Oscar, a Grammy, and a I Tony know. at this point. I know. <laughs> I know. She was close. Um, so, she, in 1961, she settles her contract disputes with CBS that had kind of been ongoing. Um, she has a new agent, Freddie Fields, and he helps to negotiate a new round of specials. So, the first is The Judy Garland Show, uh-huh. which airs on February 25th, 1962, and it features Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very successful, and CBS makes her a $24 million offer for a weekly television series. That's equivalent to $160.4 million wow. as of 2020. Like, in 2020, that's how much it would have been. Wow. Um, so, they want to... up have a weekly show called the Judy Garland show. Um, it was a massive deal. So like I said, they're doing specials to the lead up of this show. And after the third special, Judy Garland and her guests, Phil Silvers and Robert Goulet, um, which is Garland's weekly series. It debuts on September 29th, 1963. Um, it only lasts one season and it's canceled in 1964 after only 26 episodes. It was successful, but there were like a lot of different factors. She was like up against Bonanza in the lineup and it was just mm. not making enough money for it, um the time slot and everything. So um it got canceled. Now despite its short run, it was nominated for four Emmys. Oh, so she could have egot it. I know. Come on. Um, more personal for Judy, throughout her life, she's an active Democrat. Mm. She's a member of the Hollywood Democratic Committee and a financial and moral supporter of lots of causes like the Civil Rights Movement. Mm. Um, now I found this really interesting, and I am going to read this bit because it's like a lot of detail and I don't want to get it wrong. So in September of 1947... Garland joined the Committee for the First Amendment, a group formed by Hollywood celebrities in support of the Hollywood 10 during the hearings of the House Un-American Activities Committee, an investigative committee of the United States House of Representatives led by J. Parnell Thomas. Um, The committee was formed to investigate alleged disloyalty and subversive activities on the part of private citizens, public employees, and organizations suspected of having communist ties. The committee for the First Amendment sought to protect the civil liberties of those accused. That's a lot of detail, but it's a very interesting piece of history. The Hollywood 10 is fascinating. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I I didn't want to get any of the like, acronyms and or long names of committees wrong so i wanted to like just read the quote but she was part of that committee um she's also a close friend of jfk and jackie um she stayed with them frequently and she would call kennedy like weekly 
And she would sometimes end their phone calls by singing the first few bars of Over the Rainbow, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I found interesting. Uh-huh. Um, on August 28th of 1963, she participates in the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, along with other actors. Um, she's part of that. And on September 16th of 1963, she, along with her daughter and other, you know, performers, um, they hold a press conference to protest the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, um, in Alabama. And mm-hmm. that, again, could be a whole different topic that we could talk about for a long time. But oh yeah, um, they, uh, so, you know, Judy and Liza and some other performers hold a press conference. They request funds for the families of the victims. They do some fundraising. And um, Liza and one of the other people that were there, I can't remember which one, were promised to, like, attend the funerals of the families. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's Judy's kind of political leanings. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1963, she decides to sue her husband for divorce on the grounds of mental cruelty. Um, she basically says that he had repeatedly struck her while he was drinking and he had attempted to take the kids from her by force. Um, and they had, she had actually tried to divorce him on a few different occasions, but they had always reconciled. But this time um, it is, it is finalized. So mm-hmm. That's another husband divorced. Mm-hmm. In 1964, she returns to the stage and performs with her daughter, Liza, who at the time is 18, at the London Palladium. This is, a, again, a very famous performance. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1964, she also goes on a tour in Australia. Um, and it goes well at first. She does a couple concerts in Sydney. Um, and she they actually have to put her in the Sydney Stadium because the concert halls couldn't fit the crowds that wanted to come wow. and see her. Um, and they go well. Um, but then she goes to perform in Melbourne and she, it doesn't go well. She's, it starts an hour late. Um, there's a crowd of about 7,000 people and they're very upset by her being late. They think she's drunk on stage, which she probably was. And they booed her and heckled her until she fled after about 45 minutes on stage. Wow. So it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so then <laughs> she gets married again to oh, a man named Mark Heron, who was her tour promoter. And they get married um, on a freighter off the coast of Hong Kong. And they're actually married in Mandarin at this ceremony, which I thought huh. was interesting. Huh. Um, but she was not yet officially divorced from... Sydney left. Like oh. she was in the process, but it hadn't been finalized. So they technically weren't like legally married. The divorce becomes final on May 19th of 1965, and then she legally marries Mark Heron on November 14th, 1965. Uh however, five months later they're separated. Um <laughs> and during the process of the divorce, Judy testifies that he had beaten her. Um, and he claims that he actually had only hit her in self-defense. So mm. there was a lot of animosity in that um, marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we I briefly mentioned earlier that during the 60s, she got a new like manager, Freddie Fields, and she was also being managed by an agent, um, David Begelman. Um, and by the fall of 1966, she she has to part ways with them because they've badly mismanaged her funds and they've also been embezzling from her earnings oh good yeah um so this whole thing resulted in her owing around five hundred thousand dollars in total personal debts and debts to the irs oh god so the irs puts tax liens on her home in in brentwood in los angeles Uh uh-huh um, and on her recording contract with Capitol Ooh. Records and basically any other business dealings that she uh-huh. could get an income from. So it's not great. No. Um, in July of 1967, she makes one of her last U.S. appearances, again at the Palace Theater in New York. It's a 27-show stand. She performs with her kids, Lorna and Joey Luft. 
Um, she does earn more than $200,000 from this run, um, which was like her 75% share of the profits, wow. you know, but on closing night at the palace, federal tax agencies, basically all of her earnings. Wow. Crazy. Um, she makes her last concert appearance in Copenhagen during March of 1969, which is the year that we went to the moon. Oh, Yeah. Um, and after her divorce from Mark Heron had been finalized, she marries her fifth and final husband, nightclub manager Mickey Deans, um, at Chelsea Register Office in London on March 15th, um, of 1969. So, on June 22nd, again in 1969, Judy Garland is found dead at the age of 47 in the bathroom of her rented house in London. Um, Gosh, she was only forty-seven. That's yeah, wild. I know. She, that and is think quite about a life how long to it live. Took us, look, look at how long it just took us to get through her career. She was only quite, forty-seven. Quite a life to live in forty-seven years. I know. Um, her death is ruled as an accidental overdose of barbiturates. There were some, you know, debate like whether or not it was accidental, but there were a lot of factors that led them to believe that it was. Like, first of mm. all, she had a bottle of. You know, she had two bottles of pills near mm-hmm. her, and one of them was, you know, open, and she had taken some. But the other one had, like, 100 pills in it, and it was sealed. Like, she didn't even mm-hmm. touch that one. So mm-hmm. that indicates that she wasn't trying to overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, the autopsy also showed that there was no inflammation of her stomach lining and no drug residue in her stomach, which indicated to them that the drug had been ingested over a long period of time rather than all at once. Right. Mm. So just throughout the day, she had taken too much in an attempt to. Yeah. Cause she w- was addicted, yeah. but it wasn't like she was, you know, mm-hmm. taking too many on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so her then husband, uh, Mickey Deans, travels with her remains to New York City on June 26th, where an estimated 20,000 people show up to pay their respects at the Frank E. Campbell Funeral Chapel in Manhattan. It stayed open all night to accommodate the crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, they were and, in New York. All those gay men had to go pay their respects. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Truly. I was, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, at a private funeral, they they do have a private funeral on June 27th. Um, the public and the press are barred from that one. So, mm-hmm. you know. Um, she's initially interred in a crypt in the community mo- mausoleum at Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York, which is a town about 24 miles north of Midtown Manhattan. So when she passed away... She had earned, obviously, millions during her career, but her estate was only worth about 40000 U.S. dollars. Wow. Which now would be equivalent to about 220000 Nothing. I know. Now, for, Compared for to how much she as, made. For someone as famous as her. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, obviously, her financial affairs had been badly mismanaged her whole life um she was also just very generous toward her friends and family and would just give them money so it left her with basically nothing she had written a will in early 1961 and she had made a lot of very generous like um, when she first got sick she had yeah well i mean she was she was famous i i think Mm -hmm. that that was probably part of it like i need to write a will because what if something Happens. What if someone harms me or, you know, that, yeah. there's always that possibility. So um, I imagine her, I imagine Sydney left probably was like, you need a, a will. But mm-hmm. anyway, so she had made a lot of really generous bequests, but they couldn't fulfill any of them because she didn't uh. have enough money. Um, and Liza Minnelli actually works for many years to pay off her mom's debts along with, you know, with help from Frank Sinatra actually uh. um, really helps a lot with that. Um, in 1978, a lot of Judy's personal items are auctioned off by her then ex-husband, Sidney Luft, um, with the support of their daughter, Lorna, and their son, Joey. So they, they, they all kind of decided together that was the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. It was almost 500 items, um, and it raised, at the time, 250000 which now would be equivalent to about seven hundred ninety thousand, mm. um, and that went to her heirs. 
So, mm. um, her children request that her remains be disinterred from the original uh, cemetery. And in January of 2017, they're reinterred um, at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles. So that's where she is now. Um, And then just a few little things. Like, first of all, like you had kind of touched on, Judy Garland was a gay icon. You know, she's a performer. The gay community really loved her. And she was very supportive um, Mm -hmm. of that community. She was Um, a lifelong Democrat. Of course she was. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. By the time of her death, she had appeared in more than 35 films. Um, She's the youngest actor ever to win the Cecil B. DeMille Award. She was 39 when she won it. Um, That award is awarded to someone who has made outstanding contributions in the world of entertainment. It's pretty famous. I did not know that. Um, She was the youngest ever to win that. That's Yeah. She's posthumously awarded a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1997. Um, and lots of her recordings are in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Obviously, Over the Rainbow, um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she has twice been honored on U.S. postage stamps. Huh. First in 1989 as Dorothy, and then again in 2006 as Vicki Lester from A Star is Born. Huh. Interesting. So those are just some facts about Judy Garland. I know this was a long one. Um, yeah. But there's just so much in her career and yeah. in her life. Um, and it's really tragic that she mm-hmm. was just so miserable for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, old Hollywood was not a safe place. No. Especially when you start so young. So mm-hmm. that's Judy. Yeah, an icon. That's a good one. I yeah, love an her icon so indeed. much. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed learning about her. Thanks. I enjoyed reading about her. Mm-hmm. And now I think I have to watch The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Love her so Good much. Call. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all for this one, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know tell what the you. next one's going to be. But no after after the next one, it will be spooky time. Yes, it will indeed. So we're going to try to start thinking of some ideas for that. Don't really have any yet. But if anybody has any suggestions of any kind of spooky history um, or like unsolved kind of mis- mystery history, that kind of thing, uh, please let us know. You can send us yeah. uh, topic suggestions to remember that pod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at RTT pod. Um, and we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woohoo. Woohoo. Well, Good thank you back. all again for your patience during our break. And thank you for listening to this one. Um, mm-hmm. Like we said, we don't know what the next one is going to be. but Could not tell you. <laughs> but until that next time. Remember that time. Mm-hmm.